0: Morning, everybody. Glad that you're here this morning. You know, there's more people than I thought would be here. This is kind of the youth pastor Sunday, uh, so to speak. Randy's been out of town. Uh, he got a new grandson. And so speaking of kids, yeah, picture my baby boy. I love to say he's a handsome devil, but my wife said we can't say that. So he's a handsome angel, just like his father. So. I was thinking about what to talk about this morning. Randy gave me the instructions. He said, I need you to preach on the 28th. You can preach on whatever you want. He never told me that. And so I was thinking about my son. I was thinking about some of the stuff that uh, Crystal actually talked about a little bit. Thinking about this generation. And uh, there's this one Sunday. My microphone might not end up working, so I might have to go get that one. There's this one day I was praying with my son. My wife and I were praying with him uh, before Every Monday morning, we always do this. And so we were kind of bending down, praying with him. We had our eyes closed, and we look up after the prayer, and my son's eyes are closed. And I know he's advanced. I mean, I know. But <laughs> it was a good, uh, good picture of, you know what? Like, he's going to be watching the things that I'm doing growing up. And I was thinking about this next generation, how burdened I am for some of the stuff that they're going to experience. I'm going to go ahead and take this off before we start. That way... <laughs> I was thinking about this next generation and how I'm kind of burdened for them. I mean, I think some of you guys, you get it. Uh, but some of these kids, they're a little too transparent with me at times, but and sometimes I appreciate it. For example, I had a student asked me, I'm doing this study called Confronting Christianity, where we talk about hard topics in Christianity. And she said, How do I share the gospel with somebody that identifies as a cat? And it's not like it's not a question that she was trying to make fun of somebody. It was a it was a genuine question of like, what do I do in this situation when there's an identity crisis going on in my school? How do I handle that? Or, for example, you think about depression, anxiety, and how kids are experiencing this today. Uh, it seems like every single time we do this, like, survey, uh, like, once a year, we say, what kind of stuff should we be talking about? And every single time, they always say depression, anxiety. They always come to us saying, hey, like, I'm depressed. Hey, I'm struggling with this. I'm anxious. My parents' expectations are high for me. They're anxious about school, Whatever think about social media. There's this image that's painted to them that they have to look a certain way, they have to be this, they have to be that, even though the reality is that most of those images aren't even real. They've been edited or altered in some sort of way. Or you think about the message of tolerance that's being preached to this next generation, of you need to tolerate my worldview, my point of view, even if I don't tolerate yours. You see, they preach tolerance, but if you're a Christian, you're kind of exempt from that. And that's what the next generation is going through. And (laughs) Sometimes I think it's never been like this before, but that's not really true. You know, it's, some, it's sometimes, you know, we think, well, this is the first time someone's experienced this, but you think about people in the first century, for example, children in the first century, we think today that there's no value for human life, and I get that, I get that point of view. But in the first century, if you had a baby and you didn't want the baby, just leave the baby out to die, it was culturally acceptable and it was normal. Or if you're a female that grew up in the first century... You were seen as a less than in society, and so people didn't value you. Men didn't treat you equally, which is ironic because the first people that Jesus appeared to were women. Or you think about some of these other things, like we're going to talk in 2 Timothy in a second. And when 2 Timothy is written, there's this guy named Nero, who's the emperor of Rome. And what he did was he kicked his wife to death. Not only that, he castrated his male servant, dressed up as a female, and then married his male servant. We think sometimes that things have never been as bad as they are right now, but they've always been bad. Our world has never been good since before the garden. And so this morning in 2 Timothy, what I want to talk about is how can we invest in the next generation to prepare them to be followers of Jesus in a world that is hostile towards God. And what I want to tell you this morning is that you might not be a parent, and that's okay. You might not be a grandparent, and that's okay. Because what you're going to see is it it doesn't matter who you are. God is calling all of us in some capacity to invest in the next generation. So if you have your Bible, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, what we're going to talk about is this standpoint and this perspective of Paul and his mentee, Timothy, and how he's going to challenge him uh, for this idea of next-generational leadership, and so that's what I want to talk about. It says this, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now also lives in you. For this reason, I want to remind you to fan the flame the gift of God, which is in you, through the laying on of hands, for the gift God gave us does not make us, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, or some translations say fearful. But gives us power, love, and self-discipline, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner, rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. I love this text because what Paul is going to do is he's going to give us four things that he tells Timothy. And I think each of these four things apply to us when we think about investing in the next generation. The first one is this: Timothy, remember that you are loved and that you are valued. It says this in verse three and four maybe we'll have it on the screen. If not, it's cool. Sweet. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you. In my prayers recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Sometimes what we do when we read the Bible is we think that Paul is just putting in fluff. Like when he writes all these letters to all these different churches, we think, well, he's just he's just putting in fluff. But that's not what he's doing. He's saying this because it's genuine. In 1 Timothy, the book prior to this, 1 verse 2, he calls Timothy my true son in the faith. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 2, he says, my dear son. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, this, I thank God for you. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 4, he says, I long to be with you. There's several reasons why he does this. One is because it's genuine and he wants to encourage Timothy. And he really does feel this way about Timothy, but he also knows this, That if he doesn't remind Timothy that he is loved and valued, someone else will. Something else will. And what's going to go on throughout 2 Timothy is Paul is going to keep telling Timothy, hey, this is who you are. This is who you are. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by what the world tells you. This is who you are. And if we want to invest in the next generation, they need to know who they are in Christ. They need to know verses like Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That we don't have to walk around with our past being dragged behind us because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or 2 Corinthians five seventeen, that if anyone is in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. I'm a new creation in Christ. That is who I am. I belong to Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20 says that I am an ambassador for Christ and that God wants to make his appeal through me. That I get to act on behalf of Christ. And that is a privilege, but that's who I am. And what it tells me is this, that my life has purpose, meaning, and value every single day. And what the next generation needs to know is that their life has purpose, meaning, and value every single day, not because of anything else, but because of Christ. Or you think about other verses like Ephesians 2.10, which says we are his workmanship, we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance beforehand that we might walk in them. Some translations say the word poem, we are his poem which means God has a story and He has a plan for our lives that He wants us to walk in. Y'all, we have purpose and meaning every single day of our lives. And if we don't remind the next generation of this, someone else will. Something else will. Think about some of these things that they're being reminded of. You think about media, for example, TV shows, Netflix, whatever. If you go to Netflix, you're going to find a section that says LGBTQ+, on that TV shows with LGBTQ+, characters, And people in it, if you were to search LGBTQ plus shows on Google, what you'd find is you'd find a bunch of shows that were shows that you maybe grew up watching that have all of a sudden changed their (laughs) agenda to be more LGBTQ plus friendly. We see the stuff with Target and Bud Light. We see all these different companies. And what we also see is that mothers are pretty fierce and that y'all made a difference in the Target stuff because they removed some of their stuff. But here's the thing. We let our kids watch garbage on TV and then we wonder why there's an identity crisis. Are y'all with me? We give our kids, some of y'all do this, I'm not judging you, but you give your kid a tablet, you put no restrictions on it, you're giving them pornography. And it's like you think that your kid wouldn't do that. I just, I don't know what else to tell you. You gotta set some stuff on their phones, on their tablets because you're giving your kid access to pornography and you might not be intentional about it, but it's still gonna happen. I can't tell you the number of guys, teen guys that come to me and they're struggling with pornography. They're addicted to pornography. And I tell you this too, we watch these movies all the time and what happens at the end of these movies, you see a guy and a girl go on a date. What do they do? Do they go to their separate places? No. They go back to the apartment, to the house, they sleep together. And then we wonder why the next generation thinks it's normal that you move in with somebody before you're married to them. It's like we do all these things and then we wonder why there's such an identity crisis in the next generation. Or you think about social media. Kids spend hours and hours a day searching on social media, and then we wonder why they struggle with mental health, with the depression, anxiety, eating disorders, all these different things. Well, look at what they're viewing on their phones. If we don't tell the next generation who they are in Christ, someone else will. Second thing is this. Remember the legacy that you came from. That's what it says in verse 5. It says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, And your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. There's three people that have influenced Timothy's life. The first one is his grandmother. Um, I want to say this to the grandparents. God is not done using your life. Don't coast. It's not over. Keep pressing in, keep pressing on. Arguably, you're the most influential people in this room because you have the most life experience. You should be the wisest. For most of y'all, that's true. Most of you. You should be the wisest. You should be the most intelligent. You should know the most about life. God wants to use you to invest in the next generation, but there's two lies that sometimes I feel like the older generation can believe. Lie number one is that I'm not relevant enough, my jeans aren't skinny enough, my shoes aren't cool enough, my music is not loud enough, whatever. Don't believe that lie. And two, don't believe the lie that you've done enough for the church, that you've played your role, you've done your part, and it's time for me to sit back and relax because that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. God wants to use you to invest in the next generation. You've heard that quote, they don't care what you know until they know that you care. I feel like this generation of kids, they just want people around them that care about them. Like they really don't care how smart you are, how intelligent you are, they just want people that care. Second person that it mentions is his mother. Now moms are amazing, so are dads, but moms are amazing. And Timothy's mother, I think is a lot of, like a lot of women in this room maybe, and maybe you come to church, but your husband doesn't. You disciple your kids, your husband doesn't. You make following Jesus a priority, but your husband doesn't. You see, this has been a problem, not just in the last 15 years. This has always been a problem. This has always been a problem in the church. So much so that in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul tells these people, act like men. He tells the guys in Corinth, hey, act like men, grow up. And with all due respect, this might not be my place to say this, But some of us, we need to act like men. Like there's a lot of men in this room acting like boys respectfully, not trying to call anybody out. But God has called parents to be the primary disciple maker in a child's life. And ultimately parents, you're gonna set a legacy for your kids. Which legacy do you want them to follow? The third one is Paul. Now it doesn't directly mention Paul, but we know that Paul has influenced Timothy's life. He's known Timothy for quite some time. And I think Paul has laid this legacy before Timothy that Timothy Timothy is going to follow in. I think there's one family in our church that I think kind of exemplifies this idea of leaving a legacy. It's the Thackers. I don't know if y'all know the Thacker family. You know Carson Carter, Kate, sophomore, junior, senior. They got grandparents at the church, parents at the church. Carson Carter and Kate are some of the most uh, respectful, God-honoring kids. They're so kind. They exemplify Jesus. They're faithful to the church. They serve all the time They're always here. They're plugged in. They're connected But look at their parents Billy's up there controlling my microphone So I got to be careful You know sonny's over here playing the keyboard. She'll be back out here in a minute Look at their parents. Their parents are leaving a legacy, but then you know look at their grandparents They have amazing grandparents. Well an amazing grandmother some of y'all know richie. So i'm just messing with him <laughs> They have amazing grandparents that are following jesus. They're involved in the church. They're serving they're giving they do missions they're leaving a legacy for the next generation. What kind of legacy do we want to leave for the next generation? We're all leaving a legacy. Hopefully it's the right one. Third thing is this. Remember your gifts. Remember your gifts. It says this in verse 6. For this reason, I remind you, fan to the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. Not only has Paul invested in Timothy... But I believe through the process of discipleship and mentorship that Paul has allowed Timothy to use his gifts, talents, and abilities to serve Christ because he says, I recognize these gifts in you so much so that he lays his hands on him, which is significant of this, not that he's imparting some gift in him, but that he's recognizing a gift in him through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this phrase, a man of many talents. Uh, I'm the complete opposite. I'm a man of very few talents. So one of the things that I have learned how to do throughout my life is I've learned how to bake. My wife will tell you this. I've been baking a lot. I want to show you some of my bakes recently, on Mother's Day. I'm not trying to flex or anything like that, but you know. Well, there's my son. He was helping me. He wasn't really helping. I mean, he's advanced, but he wasn't really helping. But there's what I made. I made a pie for Mother's Day. Pretty amazing, if I do say so myself. The problem I have is I have no self-control. Like I. If I bake something, it's all going to be gone within 24 hours. I heard this thing that a dentist said once, like, it's better to eat all your candy at once. It's better for your teeth. So that's what I tell myself when it comes to the pie. (laughs) But I didn't teach myself how to bake. I learned how to bake from my grandmother. Uh, Growing up, we'd go to my grandmother's house, and we'd make all sorts of stuff. We'd make biscuits. We'd make cakes. We'd make pies. We'd make cookies. You can see a theme here we bake all these things, super unhealthy, but super delicious. My grandmother could bake biscuits in like 15 minutes. Like I don't see how she did it. But when I helped her, it'd take like 40 minutes. Like it'd take way longer. But she'd teach me how to cook and what she'd do is she wouldn't just make me watch her cook. She would make me do the cooking with her, do the baking with her. We'd level out the flour, you'd sprinkle it down so it wouldn't you know stick or whatever. You'd get the rolling pan, do all that. We'd make these things called jelly biscuits. It's literally just a biscuit with jelly on top of it. I don't know why we did that, it was my sister. But anyways, we'd make all this stuff, and it was really delicious and really good. And So when I got to be older, I knew how to bake. But the thing about my grandmother is she could have just done it herself. But she didn't do that. Why? Because I was never going to learn if I didn't take part in it. The next generation is not going to learn how to do the ministry if they just see us up here doing the ministry. (laughs) They don't need to just see us up here singing and playing. They need to be up here singing and playing with us. They don't need to just see us serving in first impressions. They need to be serving in first impressions with us. They don't need to just see us investing in the kids in the back. They need to be in the back investing with us. They don't need to just see us go on mission trips. They need to be going on mission trips with us. Y'all get what I'm saying? If we continue to call them the future of the church, they're not gonna wanna be the church because they're gonna see the church as something that they have to attain someday and not something that they're already a part of. And I don't see that in the Scripture, that the church is for the old people, not the young people. In the Scripture, we see this model of a multi-generational church, where people walking alongside each other, living out the gospel, and using their gifts to serve Christ. The last thing is this. Timothy, remember who you live for. Verse 7 and 8. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid. Again, some translations use the word Fearful. But gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me as prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There's this word that's used in verse 7, the word fear. A better translation uses the word fear. The translation I read says the word timid. I think we have a slide maybe. Uh, The first word in the New Testament, there's two words that are used for the word fear. The first one is the word phobos, P-H-O-B-O-S. It just means this, the act of being scared. Like I saw a snake the other day, and so what did I do? I ripped its head off. No, I didn't. I ran away like a little girl. (laughs) We all know that type of fear, y'all. We all know that type of fear. The second word, (laughs) I also bought these little snake balls that are supposed to keep the snakes away. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. second word is dahlia, which is used for fear. It means lacking confidence or lacking courage. Another word is cowardness. Think about verse 7, using the word cowardness. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us a coward, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For the Spirit that God gave us does not make us lack confidence, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For the Spirit God gave us makes us courageous, but does not make us lack power, love, and self-discipline. You see, over and over again throughout the Bible, we're told, don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. You see this relationship between a disciple and the disciple maker and the person they're discipling. And over and over again, they say, don't be afraid. You see in Deuteronomy 31, this example with Joshua and Moses, where Joshua, where Moses tells Joshua this, he says, don't be afraid, Joshua, but why? God is with you. God is with you. And then couple verses later, he brings Joshua before the people. He says, Joshua, don't be afraid. Why? Because God is with you. Over and over and over again. John chapter 14, Jesus is with his disciples. He says, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm coming back to be with you. 2 Timothy 1. Paul says this to Timothy. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Why? Because God is with you. The Spirit of God lives within you over and over and over again. There's this idea. Don't live your life in fear because God is with you over and over and over again. But why does he tell Timothy this? Why would he feel the need to tell Timothy this? If you go to verse, or verse four, it says this, recalling your tears. Paul recalls the tears of Timothy. What were the tears about, y'all? A lot of scholars think that as Paul is being arrested for the second time, one of the last visual pictures that he gets is he looks over and he sees the guy he's been discipling, Timothy, Who is filled with tears. Why? Because Timothy knows that if I live out the gospel just like my mentor did, that's what I'm going to experience. Paul says this, don't be a coward. Be confident in this, that God is who he says he is. He knows exactly what he's doing with your life. And he has a plan and purpose in place. Walk in it. Don't be afraid. Be confident in the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God gives us three separate things. First one says is power. What do we mean by that? Well, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the age. It's this idea of power that because of the Holy Spirit in you, you can do what God has called you to do. Timothy, you can do this. The Holy Spirit is within you. You can live in a world that is hostile towards God and influence people for Christ. You can do this. The other word is love. Why does he tell them that? Because sometimes in the world around us that's hostile towards the gospel, what we tend to think is these people are my enemies. No, these people are people that need Jesus. The people that are going to school, identifying as a cat, they need Jesus. The people at Target need Jesus. The people at Bud Light need Jesus. All these people need Jesus. They are a candidate for salvation. They're not our enemies. And he says, Timothy, you have the power of God in you so that you can love these people even though they might hate you. (laughs) And then the third one, is self-discipline, which a better translation might say this, stability or focus. That though the world around you and the world that we live in in 2023 is completely unstable, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need to live a stable, focused life fixated on Christ. The Bible says this, the author and perfecter of our faith. What kind of legacy do you want to leave for the next generation? There's this guy that I've become friends with. I don't know necessarily the difference between an acquaintance and a friend, but some of y'all know John James pretty well. Uh, He's an older guy, and he's a grandfather. I don't know how old he is, but he's a grandfather. And uh, he's become a good friend of mine the last several weeks. Um, One of the things that we've been doing is over the last several weeks, we've been riding to the gym together at Falling Springs. And so we live kind of close to each other. I told him I was going to say this. We live pretty close to each other. And I said, John, I'll come pick you up and go to the gym. We can just ride together. And so every morning, a little after five, I leave my house, and I go to John James's house. I turn on his street. Every single morning, it's the same thing. The street is completely pitch dark, completely black, but you see one little light, and it's John James, which I think is significant because that's what his life is. Are y'all with me? That's what his life is. We get into the car every single morning. We get to have 10 minutes of uninterrupted conversation on the way to the gym. Man, I love this. I love getting to do this with you, John. We ride to the gym. We work out. He's, way, he's in way better shape than most of the people in this room. We go to the gym. We work out. We get back in the car. We have 10 minutes of uninterrupted conversation. And it's the same thing every single week, and I absolutely love it. But one of the reasons I love it is because of how God has used John James to humble me to mold me into the image of Christ, to sharpen me, and ultimately, I believe, to make me wiser. Because one morning, I got into the car and I asked John James, I said, John, what time do you get up in order for us to do this each day? And I began to get a little bit prideful in myself the last few months of like, oh, I'm waking up early and I still have a baby. No one cares, (laughs) y'all. I'm so disciplined. No, I'm not. Put a box of Oreos in front of my face. They're all going to be gone. And so I asked John James this question, and I get up around 4.30, thinking, well, it will probably say like 4.30. He says 3 a.m. He said, 3 a.m.? Like, what are you doing at 3 a.m.? You know what he's doing at 3 a.m.? He's praying, studying the Scriptures, spending time with God. He's a list of people that he prays for. And over the last several months, what's began to take place in my life, the last month or so, is I began to ask John James' question, John, what's it like having adult children? John, what's it like leading your family? John, what's it like in this world that is hostile towards God? Has it ever been like this before? John, what does it look like to serve Jesus in the public workplace? John, how do I, how do I better minister to the people around me? You go to the gym, and this guy's like a celebrity. There's not a person in the room that doesn't love this guy. John, how do you radiate Jesus so well? And over and over again, the Bible says this, walk with the wise, become wise. Man, I want to become wise. I want to become like this guy. He's an example worth following, and he's leaving a legacy for the next generation. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Because we're all leaving some sort of legacy. You've heard that quote, you can't lead others where you're not willing to go yourself. You know, sometimes we want to influence the next generation for Christ, but we're not willing to go the places that we're telling them to go. We want them to spend time with God, but what does your time with God look like? We tell them to pray, but what does your prayer time look like? We tell them to share the gospel, but how much of an evangelistic heart do we have? We tell them to go influence people around it, but how much are we influencing the people around us? We tell them to be plugged in and faithful to the church, but how faithful are we to the church? We tell them to give faithfully and to be a servant for Christ, but how are we doing that? You see, we're all given a legacy. What kind of legacy do you want to leave for the next generation? Let's pray. God, i uh, just convicted this morning in my own heart that I want to leave a legacy for my son. I want to leave a legacy for, the, for my family. I want to leave a legacy for these kids. Because oftentimes what it takes is it takes a humbling of ourselves to realize, man, we're not as good as we think we are. Help us in these moments to be people that are living a legacy. <laughs> that are so fixated on you, no matter what everything around us says, no matter what the culture around us is doing, God, let us be fixated and focused on you living a stable life, constantly pursuing Jesus Christ. To in his name we pray. Amen.